Welcome to Flip the Script, your go-to podcast about health disparities. My name is Max. My guest today is Dr. Dorothy Roberts. She's a professor of law, sociology, and African-American studies at the University of Pennsylvania. I'll let her tell us a little bit more about herself. Well, as you described, I'm an interdisciplinary professor at Penn. I am what's called a Penn Integrates Knowledge Professor, and I'm appointed in two schools, the Law School and the School of Arts and Sciences. And I have been studying for almost 30 years now the intersection of racism and sexism in various institutions and systems in the United States, especially reproductive health, child welfare, and most recently, genomic and other forms of biological science. Wow. How did you get into this 30 years ago? (laughs) Well, my very first work as a legal scholar was examining the prosecutions of women for drug use during pregnancy. Mm -hmm. I started reading about them in the paper, and I suspected that these prosecutions were primarily of black women. Mm -hmm. This was the late 1980s. I began teaching in 1988, Mm -hmm. and during the so-called crack epidemic, Poor black women were being prosecuted for smoking crack cocaine during pregnancy. And most of the discussion about it was as if they were being legitimately punished Mm -hmm. for harming their future children. Even the feminist critique of it focused mainly on gender. And there was very little acknowledgement of the fact that these were black women and that racism had a lot to do with why they were being targeted for these prosecutions. And so I developed an argument that this was both racist and sexist and that it stemmed from a long history of devaluation of black women's childbearing. Uh, And I ended up writing a book called Killing the Black Body, Race, Mm -hmm. Reproduction, and the Meaning of Liberty, that looks at the long history of regulation of black women's childbearing, devaluation of black women as mothers by government policy and by cultural stereotypes in the United States that paint black women as irresponsible mothers, even dangerous mothers, and looked at a long series of policies starting during the slavery era all the way to what was then the 1990s, and the abolition of the entitlement to welfare, the long history of sterilization abuse Mm -hmm. of black women, and other ways in which government policies sought to treat black women's childbearing as if it were a social problem. And I argued that we had to see the racism in it as well as sexism in order to understand the brutality of these oppressive policies. Absolutely. So it's really interesting. One of my recent guests was Kiara Bridges, whose work Mm -hmm. is also along the lines of reproductive justice. And we talked a little bit about um, maternal mortality, and especially because it's been pretty present in the media recently. Mm -hmm. Um, So Linda Villarosa Mm -hmm. wrote this sort of series in the New York Times. And just yesterday, she gave us a talk in the pediatrics department, and she was kind of talking about her own experience um, giving birth. um, And and while she was sort of antepartum 
um, having um, to see an expert in maternal and fetal medicine. Yeah. Uh, and so she says the moment she got to the doctor, they asked her, how much crack cocaine do you smoke? <laughs> or when yeah. was the last time you smoked crack cocaine? And she said, I'm the health editor of Essence magazine. Right. I'm not smoking crack right. or cocaine. Right. Um, yeah. And it just kind of makes me think the ways in which we, as a society, find, you know, reasons outside of healthcare or outside of the government to sort of blame black women for um, issues relating related to maternal mortality. Yeah. Well, I think that that's part of a bigger trend of blaming black women for all sorts of social problems that actually stem from structural racism. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think that the very concept of biological race does that. You know, the concept of biological race is that it is a natural division of human beings that explains why there is race, a racist society, why there's racist inequality in society. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the original idea is that black people naturally produce their unequal status. Right. And how does how is it naturally produced? Through black mothers. And so the this is a very fundamental concept in US policy, government, politics, you know, that uh, black mothers' childbearing is a problem that has to be managed by the state and that black women are scapegoated for not only the suffering that they experience and their children and families experience as a result of structural racism, but even being blamed for national problems, right. you know, like welfare dependency. You mm-hmm. know, was black mothers were blamed for that. Um, high rates of incarceration, black mothers get blamed for that. And so the, what we're seeing in the high rates of maternal mortality among black women and the explanations for it, blaming them for it, is a reflection of a much deeper way of thinking in America that I think affects every institution in America. I mean, the more I work on this issue, the more I see that blaming black mothers for social problems is at the heart of maintaining all sorts of unjust institutions, the prison system, the welfare system, the child welfare system, you know, inequalities in education, all all of these get attributed to black mothers' deficiencies and have led to supported policies that have brutally punished black mothers, but also affect oppressive policies in general that are, you know, they're bad for everybody. Mm-hmm. We, we have a horrible health system in the Absolutely. United States, horrible <laughs> education system, right. you know, horrible criminal justice system. It's, it's not good for anybody, but of course it's worse for people at the bottom of the so-called social ladder. You know, it's especially black people who live in poverty and, and poor segregated neighborhoods, uh, so it's it's both. It, it's a way of containing and punishing them and blaming black mothers for it, but also of maintaining these broader carceral systems mm-hmm. that produce an unhealthy society for everybody in America. Absolutely. 
Now I'm thinking about your more recent work, you know, about genomics and health disparities slash inequity. Um, and so not too long ago, the New York Times had an article that sort of a that was sort of a hypothesis that was suggesting, well, perhaps the reason why um, women of color slash black women are more likely to die during uh, childbirth is attributed to a difference in pelvic bone structure. Uh, and this was sort of coming from some scholars' work. Yeah. Um, and I was like, are we going back to the ages of phrenology? Right. Um, I'm just curious what your thoughts yeah. are on those theories. Yeah, it's another one of many, many, many theories that have been perpetuated since the time of slavery to explain health inequities as being produced by natural defects mm-hmm. in black people's bodies. Uh, so if we can go back to the time of slavery and the idea that slavery was good for black people because their, their I was gonna say their brains, well part of it was that their brains were defective, but mm-hmm. also there was the theory that black people had lower lung capacity and therefore required coerced labor in order to be healthy. And so this idea that black people's bodies operate differently and that is what produces their disadvantage. You know, whether we're talking about disadvantages in health or disadvantages in criminal justice or disadvantages in education or disadvantages in wealth, This is a a common way of thinking that the medical profession and medical researchers have helped to support for centuries. So the the explanation for why black people have higher rates of all sorts of diseases or bad health outcomes is uh, very often attributed to something innate in black people, whether it's a a genetic predisposition or some physical deformity that causes mm-hmm. it. And so here it follows that pattern to postulate that the reason for the atrociously high rates of maternal deaths in uh, among black women is because of some internal defect as opposed to structural racism that produces harms to black women's bodies, lack of access to high-quality medical care, uh, and other reasons that are imposed on them, not that stem from inside their supposedly defective bodies. I think it's also interesting that all of these theories postulate that for some reason, black people, you know, there's something about so-called black race Mm-hmm. that causes a phenomenon that doesn't happen to other human beings. So it's a, it's a very weird evolutionary theory that supposedly only applies to black people, which that is, you know, which doesn't make, it makes <laughs> no sense whatsoever. But not only are these horrible things supposed to happen to black people naturally, but even causing deaths of infants and mothers. What evolutionary principle would lead to a whole group of people being prone to dying. Right, that, that's, that's counterintuitive. That's counterintuitive. <laughs> it's not even a scientifically plausible theory. And yet you find scientific articles 
postulating this ridiculous theory published over and over and over again in you know supposedly well-respected peer-reviewed scientific journals it's it's just astounding you know it's it's beyond that there are certain biological principles that would explain black people's disadvantage that's bad enough mm-hmm. but the idea that there is a separate set of biological principles for black people right. that don't even fit that what's true for other human beings is completely there's no way to explain that other than by racism right you know it has to be a racist science that would create theories that black people have their own set of principles mm-hmm. you know that it it just boggles the mind and yet supposedly sophisticated you know highly educated advanced scientific minds continue to roll out these ideas and they continue to get not only published in scientific journals but be picked up by media and then circulated globally to then legitimize people's racist views about black people yeah it's pretty disturbing and i'm sure you're familiar with the studies that came out of chicago where they looked at uh black women um both immigrant black women from Africa yes. and the Caribbean yes. um, and U.S.-born black women and then studied their daughters and saw that just one generation of living in America yes. basically is the equalizer that leads yes. to worse outcomes. Yes, absolutely. So I'm actually going to mention that in my talk this mm-hmm. afternoon that um, despite the continued search for some genetic explanation for why black women have higher rates of premature birth or higher rates of infant mortality or high, higher rates of um, low uh, birth weight for their children or higher rates of maternal deaths, you know, this search for some natural explanation for it, there are also studies that over and over again show that for whether it's a study like you mentioned that uh, women born in Africa, uh, black women born in Africa do not have this problem. Their rates of preterm birth and, and these other issues uh, are, are similar to white women in America. But it is after growing up in the United States that we see this problem develop. And so there, the, in the water. The you know the logical <laughs> the logical explanation is there's something about living in the United States that is pro, pro, that is producing these poor outcomes. Yes, absolutely. Um, so I'd like to shift gears a little bit mm-hmm. and think about the legal aspect of this sort of prosecution of mm, black mm-hmm. mothers um, for drug use during pregnancy. Mm -hmm. So the backdrop of this is, so we're in the middle of an opioid epidemic. um, And, you know, 25, 30 years since the quote-unquote crack epidemic. Right. Uh, Now, during the opioid epidemic, um, we obviously have seen rising rates of babies being born with what we call neonatal abstinence syndrome due Mm -hmm. to opioid exposure. Mm -hmm. But something else that is also happening is that because marijuana is becoming um, more and more legal across 
different states mm-hmm. um, in the public eye, it's becoming more acceptable. Mm-hmm. I mean, but I'm wondering what your thoughts are on the changing landscape of marijuana consumption during pregnancy and what that would mean for black mothers. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, let me first address the first contrast you mm-hmm. made between the prosecutions of black women in the late 1980s, early 1990s during Mm -hmm. the crack epidemic Mm -hmm. and the now current opioid epidemic. So uh, during the time when it was predominantly black women being prosecuted, there were a lot of legal precedents set that allowed uh, as constitutional the prosecution of women for harm to a fetus. Uh, Some states limited it to a viable fetus, but at any rate, it was held to be constitutional despite arguments that it violated these women's reproductive rights. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there was a very punitive attitude uh, so that we see that a public health problem was turned into a crime. Uh, on the backs of black women who were the primary uh, uh, victims or targets of these prosecutions. Uh, And and, uh, a very, very punitive attitude by not only prosecutors but other policymakers as well. Now with the opioid epidemic, which at least initially was seen as predominantly a white problem, And it's another topic to go into why it was that it was white. That has a lot to do with racist uh, attitudes by doctors in pain uh, treatment. Yeah, Yeah, the the idea that uh, it's it's harmful to prescribe opioid painkillers to black people because they're naturally predisposed to drug addiction, but Mm -hmm. white people aren't. Uh, But... uh, it's seen more as a white problem. We can see a very different attitude by policymakers about op- opioids, much more sympathetic to uh, opioid uh, uh, people with opioid abuse problems, including mothers who are using or addicted to opioids and pregnant. Uh, In fact, some even conservative lawmakers have called for maybe prosecuting the drug companies, but being more lenient toward the people who are addicted to these drugs. That goes against conservative principles. It does. And treating them as victims of this epidemic, which, which... some people, like the the um, governor of Maine, blamed on black men. Right, black men coming from New York. <laughs> and bringing in drugs to white women in Maine. So, yeah, I remember that. So white people get painted as victims of an epidemic, whereas black people get painted as the perpetrators who need to be criminalized. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and... Though there is, there are many prosecutors who are also prosecuting white women now for meth use or opioid use during pregnancy based on precedents that were created during the crack epidemic and targeting black women. So both, both of those are going on at the time. So now if we turn to marijuana, I can predict that there's going to be 
a continued prosecution of black women, black mothers. Now, prosecution, but also another form of punishment that's even more common, which is taking their children from them. Right, calling DCF. Yes, yeah. Call Child Protection Services and remove the newborn because of evidence of drug use, whether it's marijuana, opioids, crack cocaine. Um, and we know that black women are much more likely to have their children removed for, than white women for the exact same types of problems. That's been documented over and over and over again, especially in the context of drug use during pregnancy. There was one study in the 1990s that found that black women were 10 times more likely to be reported by their doctors for mm. drug use during pregnancy than white patients who were using drugs during pregnancy. So uh, that the fact that there are changing laws and attitudes about marijuana, uh, making it le- even making it legal does not necessarily mean that women won't be prosecuted for or punished in other ways like child removal for smoking marijuana during pregnancy. I mean, this is linked to, and that, and also that black women will be disproportionately targeted, mm-hmm. just like black people, you know, black youth are disproportionately targeted by police for possession of mm-hmm. marijuana and punished for it. In New York City, you know, thousands and thousands of young black people arrested, stopped and frisked, and then arrested for marijuana possession, whereas in some communities, white communities in New York City, people openly smoke marijuana and then knowing that nothing's going to happen to them. Uh, And so this kind of racist policing applies in the context of what should be considered a health problem of drug use during pregnancy. So that's likely to continue. This is also, though, connected to another development, which is the rise of laws that are intended to restrict abortion. Uh, And one of the tactics of anti-abortion advocates and legislators is to expand fetal protection laws so that they protect the fetus from any kind of action by a pregnant person that is deemed to be risky to the fetus, whether it's terminating a pregnancy or engaging in some kind of conduct that is alleged to put the fetus at risk. So you have to take that political development. And since uh, the, um, the Casey decision by the U.S. Supreme Court that allowed for states to pass laws that tried, you know, intentionally tried to prevent women from having abortions. So the U.S. Supreme Court said that's constitutional as, as long as it doesn't constitute what it called an undue burden. Mm-hmm. And an undue burden has to, is a, a lot of really serious impediment. I mean, it only held that an undue burden so far was uh, a law requiring notice to uh, the father of the, the husband, uh, husband is how the law was uh, written. And where the court pointed out that that put women at risk of physical violence. Right. And then uh, in the Texas case, uh, the laws that had resulted in the closing of most of the abortion clinics in, uh, in, te- in the state of Texas. So an undue burden has allowed a lot of barriers to women getting abortion services and... Uh, these 
part of the assault on women's reproductive rights and health has been to expand the laws that protect the fetus from harm. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's more and more difficult to tell whether the law is intended to stop a woman from terminating a pregnancy or just regulate pregnancy in general uh, and give prosecutors the power to punish women who are deemed to not be uh, taking good enough care of a fetus, which, again, could be anything from uh, exercising too much, working too much, not following a doctor's orders, uh, attempting suicide, um, driving without a seat belt, uh, using any any all sorts of different kinds of substances. I mean, all of these have been the bases for prosecutions of women uh, who who were pregnant. So let me ask you this: uh, a lot of these laws sort of take rise at the state level, and yes. then eventually attitudes start to spread. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the states that have been uh, coming up with these laws, so thinking about Ohio, that just passed a mm-hmm. regulation that starts um, sort of regimentedly controlling pregnancy at the six-week mark, right? Ohio has a worst um, rate of infant mortality in this country. Yeah. Uh, I'm wondering whether in these very states, um, whether racial attitudes have an impact on their uh, overall sort of decision-making when it comes to fetal protection laws? Yeah. I think, I think racial attitudes affect these laws and policies fundamentally and generally in mm-hmm. different ways. So absolutely... I believe the punishment of women who use drugs during pregnancy developed because of racism. Mm-hmm. You know, as as I mentioned, the very first women to be prosecuted were black women and to be able to pro, you know to drag a woman who just had a baby out of a maternity ward, you know, to lock up a pregnant woman that is a huge amount of devaluation of that woman. And it really counters the cultural norm that's supposed to treat pregnant women, you know, with dignity and be extra caring of them. And, you know, to think of the maternity ward as a sacred place, all of that kind of cultural background is violated when you're dragging bleeding women out of the maternity ward and locking them up in a, in a you know, a dingy jail. So it was very clear to me immediately. That's why I suspected right away these are black women because these women are being disrespected and devalued. And racism has a lot to do with that. I mean, it, I think it's essential mm-hmm. that the, the, the longstanding devaluation of black women uh, fueled that policy. So racism is at the heart of the devaluation of black women's childbearing decisions and mm-hmm. and their not their decisions but also the very value of of their childbearing itself mm-hmm. uh, it, 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 it it's not just devalued it's seen as a problem to be 
dealt with by government in in very brutal ways. It's part of why hundreds of thousands of black women have been coercively sterilized in the United States. So racism is at the heart of that. Now, uh, it, it gets... Uh, more complicated than to explain policies that would punish white women uh, for their conduct during pregnancy. Um, But that, too, we can tie to racism because of the idea that white women should be producing white children for the white nation. Mm -hmm. And so punishing white women who don't live up to that mission that a white supremacist society sees for them is racist. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, racism is at the, the, the foundation of that as well. Uh, and so I think everything having to do with reproduction in the United States is, uh, is shaped by racism and white supremacy, Again, going back to the very meaning of race as a, you know, the idea, the false idea that it's a biological trait, a biological nature, you know, that gets reproduced uh, by mothers who then pass it on to their children. Mm-hmm. Um, that that idea that is fundamentally racist in the sense that it supports the domination of a certain group of people over another group. You know, the, the idea that there is a group of people, i.e. white people, who are born entitled to dominate other people, especially black people, that black people are in, innately born to, to be subservient to mm-hmm. have a subjugated place in society. You know, that that's what race means. Right. You know, why else have, why else care about race? You know, that's that's why it was developed. That's what it means. And that idea is so linked to concepts of reproduction, to concepts of family, you know, to concepts of who is human, who isn't human, who is like me, who's not like me, who deserves to be here, who doesn't deserve to be here. I mean, it may seem like far-fetched to link this to the 911 calls, mm-hmm. but I think that's what the 911 calls are all about. I don't think they're about being afraid of anybody. They're not actually afraid. You know, when, they, when a, a white woman calls up uh, the police on a little kid selling lemonade, you know, <laughs> she's not afraid of that child. Uh, she's, she's, they're not afraid of black people. They want black people to be in their place. Mm-hmm. And what these all those calls are about a black person that a white person thinks is shouldn't be there, shouldn't be doing what they're doing. They don't have a right because of their race to be doing what they're doing. And the white person thinks because of his or her race they have a right to, to monitor put and put that person in their place, and they have the right to call the police to enforce their right as a white person to tell a black person what to do. So that, that you know, is all linked to what race means. That's what race means. That's what race means. It means, you know, it means it, it tells you who has the right to call the police to enforce their view that you should be there or not, and who is the person that should be subject to that kind of monitoring and authority. And 
the idea that people are naturally entitled to that is tightly linked to everything we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. Because the, the, the notion that people of different races are just naturally in that position, you know, they naturally have that status, and that that status then naturally produces infant mortality or infant survival. You know, it naturally produces maternal death or maternal survival. And academic achievement. And it, right. that's, well, we could go on and on. Right. You know, yeah. all, so we've been talking about the health realm, but the biological health realm has always supported the social realm. Mm -hmm. Because if a doctor determines, supposedly scientifically, you know, that black people are physically incapable of freedom, because of the way their lungs operate, then that supports enslaving them. You know, if a doctor can determine that black people are physically prone to die in childbirth because of their pelvic structure, then that supports the idea, well, maybe they're also physically prone to commit violence. Maybe they're also physically prone to do poorly in school. You know, maybe they're also physically prone to be poor. So it... That, that, that biological concept of race has always been supported by biomedical researchers and physicians as a way to support these other areas mm -hmm. of subordination of black people and supposed superiority entitlement of white people. Yep. Unfortunate, but very true. Yes. That's why it's so important, you know, I get so passionate about this because I really think it is at the bottom, this biological concept of race. It, it, it's at the bottom of the support for a whole complicated structure of inequality that is what actually produces these deadly outcomes. You know, this, we're talking about the deaths and injury of thousands and thousands of people generation after generation after generation and it being seen as something that's natural in those people. I mean, even as I'm talking about it now, it's, it's, a, it's just a monstrous way of thinking. Mm -hmm. And so many people, though, believe that they are benevolently doing this research and practicing this racial science and racial medicine to benefit black people. That's what they'll say. Very patronizing. Yes. <laughs> this is for your good. Right. <laughs> when if you think about it, it's, it's, it's horrifying mm -hmm. what this whole structure of racism supported by the biological concept of race has produced over and over and over again. So that here we are in 2018 and, and the more maternal mortality rate of black women is almost four times that of white women. You know, we're talking about deaths. The infant mortality rate is two to three times that for black children compared to white children. And we continue to hear these biological, you know, innate racial explanations for it. You know, centuries after these ideas were developed to support slavery, colonialism, and conquest. It, it's it's incredible how persistent they are. And asinine. <laughs> and asinine when you think about it. And yet, 
it persists. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, like we have to challenge that fundamental concept, I think. Absolutely. Well, Professor Roberts, thank you so much. Oh, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Same here. Thank you. I really appreciate learning from your expertise here, and I hope to continue this conversation. I hope so, too. Thank you, and good luck to you. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of Flip the Script. <laughs>